I feel like we should be like recording an album. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we could be a band. We could like start a band. Totally. A design of a band. The design. So, that, oh yeah, we don't even know the name of this podcast. The design of is all I know. Really? Yeah. So, <laughs> this is a great way to start off our podcast. Um, I'm Justin Aaron's, and I'm Will's Francis, and we are here with an- another episode of Design of, a podcast about people and process, or in this case, a podcast about someone we think is really, really rad and doing some amazing things that are um, changing people's worlds. So, Victor, welcome to Design of. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Justin and Will's. Of course. I think he's making fun of I know. Us. I think he is too. <laughs> yeah. He just put on his radio voice. Yeah. You guys are yeah. so professional. Right well, now. yeah. I mean, we want people to think that this is worth listening to, of course. <laughs> of course. And yeah. people should listen to it. Yeah. All of you, you're doing a good job listening. So, Victor. <laughs> Victor, uh, you know, who are you? Why are you here? Why do you think you're on this podcast, by the way? So, yeah, I, my name is Victor Saad, and I'm the founder of the Experience Institute and uh, the author of a book called Leap Year Project and um, the friend of a community called Leap Year Project and a, uh, have been working in the space of higher education and reimagining how people can take uh, learning and kind of formal education into their own hands to design it and make it what they want it to be. Okay, so when you see where Victor is now, it's super impressive to see all that he's accomplished before the age of 30. Um, but we want you to understand that the road was a lot more rocky than it seems like um, he's enjoying now. Yeah, and you know, Victor's story starts out with him being a curious guy who wanted to learn more about design and its application. And, and what's cool for, for me and for Rule 29 is that's where we met, is right at that point. And so after several tweets, uh, I think I came to your office once, maybe bearing yeah, gifts. So for those who don't know, um, uh, people who just walk into my office sort of drives me crazy. And um, oh, I, you never yeah, you didn't that. know that? No, yeah. Well, because no. our office is in a, um, an old 104 or five-year-old farmhouse, you know, kind of right on the edge of uh, the historical district of Geneva. And there was this guy who kept like tweeting us direct messaging us, you know, kind of following our social media. And here he comes rolling in our office one day. And so um, I just happen to be the one that comes down and I'm just like, oh, who is this solicitor? And there there was Victor. Yeah. And of course, like all these things, I think get exaggerated a little bit. You know, I was Not next thing. Much. Next time we tell the story, I was like homeless on the streets, really just wanting a job. And Dude, you I, tweeted <laughs> us like a hundred times. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> So I got to know Justin and before any of the stuff that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but I was at a bit of this crossroads wanting to learn more about the space formally. I, I didn't have any design background, uh, had no business background, really focused on education and specifically in kind of a nonprofit and faith-based context and um, and was trying to figure out how I'd learn more. And MBA programs, design programs, uh, and so I was just doing a ton of research around uh, ways to get involved without, um, well, I think I was just doing, a, generally speaking, a lot of a lot of research on ways to get involved and learn more. And yeah, and so in this in this process, we ended up connecting, um, which was pretty phenomenal. And I think, uh, if my memory serves me right, without exaggerating, uh, we had a meeting that I think I told you I had like twenty minutes, and we ended up talking for I think over an hour. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so that this, for those of you who haven't had the pleasure to meet Victor yet, this is one of the wonderful things that I admire about him is he's an amazing uh, conversationalist, great listener and very caring. And so I've come to really admire that about you. And, and um, I'm excited to, to have people hear your story and, uh, you know, kind of what you're going after and pursuing and the dreams you have right now. One of the things I'm so passionate about is curiosity and just following questions. And um, there, there is this kind of annoyance level, I think, of questions sometimes. That if you just ask questions and don't do anything about actually exploring ways those questions materialize into uh, like something more, something whether events or services or products or whatever they might be, that, that gets a little bit annoying. But finding people who let you be curious is so special. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the teacher who doesn't get sick of you raising your hands or at least, or uh, this, yeah, the teacher who doesn't get sick of raising you raising your hand or the, the person who says, it's fine that we're over time. What's your, what's your next question? I think people like you is really, they're really special and hard to come across and uh, because everyone's really busy. And so curiosity takes time and, um, and I think now trying to create space for people who are curious about things is, is what I'm really passionate about. And that's probably what led me into, I think, once again, full circle back to why, why I'm sitting across from you is I'm just a really curious person. And I love that. And I don't know a lot. Um, well, that's not true. Well, I mean, it's not that I don't know a lot as much as like I don't consider myself an expert on a lot of things. Um, I just wonder a lot about things. And then right around that time, you were involved with an art community. Uh, what, was, what was the name of that community? I can't remember. Yeah, it was called The Prop. Um, it was kind of my first attempt at, at um, working in the space of kind of for-purpose design work, just trying to dabble in the space. All we were trying to do was kind of underground art shows for causes. Um, so teaming up with designers and artists, putting their work in, in spaces that were unused, and selling it and giving splitting the profit between a cause and and uh, and the artist's work. Oh, that's awesome! What what like tell me some of the you know more successful. Yeah, we did one uh, <laughs> in the West Loop before the West, or like yeah, kind of Adams and Racine. There was a warehouse there, um, and we did one for uh, we did a we, we took over this warehouse. Some someone was going to build uh, build out. Um, actually, a church was going to go in there. And um, it was just this torn down warehouse, uh, or not torn down, it was just this, this warehouse was just in shambles. But we cleaned it up, a group of us painted it, spent a few nights just making it really nice. We teamed up with a chef who took, uh, brought in just really high-end food into this broken down warehouse. Um, and we put up three artists' work. Uh, it was curated by a friend of mine named Craig and... Uh, and Craig did a fantastic job, and we focused on Nuru. And Nuru is this amazing nonprofit um, in the that's focused on rural African communities and helping them become sustainable. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it, that was one of the more successful ones we had done. Probably five or six for the. Uh, give us some. Give us some understanding, like how many people showed up, and and yeah, that what? night there was probably just two two hundred people or so, two hundred two hundred fifty people. That sounds like a great out. Yeah, come to me. Yeah, I was for I mean four friends who didn't like we weren't rock stars in Chicago or anything. We we're just trying to figure out how to make this thing happen. We did a small Kickstarter for to raise the funds um, to do it all. So we just like raised a thousand dollars on Kickstarter. This was in I don't know 2010, 2011. I think Kickstarter was still, still long ago. New. Yeah, 
so long ago. <laughs> um, that was kind of my playground. The prop was this f- place for me outside of my full-time job uh, to start dabbling in that's, you know, the connections and the, the industries that I was really curious about. What were the biggest lessons you learned from that? Like, what were the things that you took away from that that have kind of moved you forward? I learned that, like, I wanted to find ways to put people in, in the center of the work I was doing. I, I didn't just want it to be technology. I didn't just want it to be uh, business plans or numbers. Um, for me, like, I, I think the most rewarding work is where people have platforms to really become uh, who they can become and have people who believe they can become something great. Um, and so that that was really important. I think it also, I learned a lot about team and leadership. And uh, there was this, uh, it was the first time I had started reading those kinds of books. So everything from Dan Pink's Drive and learning about transcendence and mastery and autonomy um, to like five dysfunctions of a team and learning about the value of trust. Like I was doing some of that in my full-time job, but I, I wasn't I wasn't the guy, you know, and and at the prop, um, not that I was the guy in the kind of the hierarchical kind of sense, but I, I became the kind of team leader and wanted to figure out I had to figure out ways to bring a few core volunteers who are friends of mine. Um, I was was coming into the space where I thought business meant you use people to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, it just like some of the. Uh, like hardcore business, old school business kind of mentality. People are, you use them, right? Hello, Peter. What's happening? Um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around nine, that would be great. Okay. Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Um, I'm also going to need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday, too, okay? We uh, lost some people this week, and uh, we need to sort of play catch-up. Thanks. And my friend Tyler Savage, still one of my dearest friends, uh, really believes um, that like relationships ought to be generative, really supporting one another's work and, and getting people to, to work together to their, you can do that. It doesn't have to be your goal or their goal of getting met. And so I, I've, I've never forgotten that. In fact, one of the things I think will probably be on my tombstone someday is that relationships are the most powerful means for change. I think if they're if they're led well, um, if expectations are clear, and if, if by the way I'm going to tweet credit, that and take all the credit, do it, <laughs> please. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I I don't know. I mean, like I said, it it felt like an experiment. It felt like a class. It felt like a playground. I, um, it was a lot of work. It was nights and weekends. No, like not no real money like personally made off of that. But so when you were working a full time job, was the hope always that this art project would become the full-time job or was it purely a, a fun thing that you were trying to do with your friends yeah that's a great question um I it what there was a hope for it we were trying to figure out how do we make it sustainable and to some extent there was a um I don't know it, it's probably what pushed me into really thinking about an MBA mm-hmm. um and thinking that the prop would would have been the project that I would work on right um I really wanted to hire my friends. I wanted them to be able to do this full time with me, and didn't want to just be in the nonprofit space for for too long. There was a, although I love nonprofits, there was this sense in me like, 
I'm smart. I'm in America. I'm uh, I, I don't young. I don't have any debts. Uh, I I shouldn't need to raise money. I should be able to contribute. I should be able to make money and right. contribute. And I need to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think what started to get really frustrating inside, like really pushing me to the edge of things. Like I didn't know how to do it, and I wanted to. I love where we are right now in Victor's journey. Yeah, it seems he's for the first time contemplating taking the step out of the nonprofit world into the for-profit world to create social change. I know I can build for-profit things, and I, I, I've had spent five years working with students and with amazing people. My heart was soft for, um, like I told, told you about, like giving people a platform and helping develop people. and. So for-profit, for-purpose businesses, like how do you do it? Is that possible? And and who's doing it? And how do I learn from them? And not only for-profit, for-purpose, but beautiful businesses, like mm. things that, where, that people want to get behind and stories are told well and it, it inspires things maybe outside of just your own products and services. So like any self-respecting visionary and entrepreneur, the next logical step is an MBA program, right? So we thought. So in 2011, those tensions came to a head, like just kind of exploding inside of me. The more I talked to business school students, like it's it, it's a grind that, and a very familiar path. Like it just felt not surprising, not delightful. I remember very vividly writing leap year project at the very top of a page and uh, had three columns of kind of um, the education I wanted, like the things I would do to learn, the things that I would do to connect other people and the things I would do to inspire others or something. It was right along those lines. I still have that sheet of paper. Um, and, uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can make my own way to learn about these things. I, I can do this. I, I can just design my own route forward. And um, so long story somewhat shorter for so now. kind of to design your own MBA or continuing education. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. And, you know, people had talked about gap years and I hated the word gap year. I, I just thought like that's, it's not a gap. Like it's a very, it's going to be a very active year. Explain a gap year just for those who may not be familiar with that. So term. yeah, gap year is just generally like, you know, right after high school, uh, maybe woofing or traveling or whatever, maybe just taking a break or maybe sometime in college, like, taking a gap from college and, and uh, just take, once again, taking a break. Um, some people are very active. Some people float around and just like do whatever they need, go, go back home for a bit, whatever it is. Totally understandable. Um, so I wrote leap year thinking leap. Awesome. And, probably needing a little more than just a year. I was thinking maybe 15 months, 16 months. So like leap, I don't know why. It just felt like I could play around with um, play around with the timeline a little more. Just a couple of weeks later, I Tyler Savage, whose name will probably continue coming up. He's one, one of my best friends and, and was with me along the whole thing. He's like, he tweeted me. He's like, Victor, next year is actually a leap year. It's 2012. It's a leap year. And we should do something with it. Um, if, you, if you call your thing leap year. And at that point it was like, all right, I need to have some serious conversations <laughs> with some folks about what I should do. And my job was super gracious. My parents thought I was crazy, but gave me a blessing to kind of take this year to design my kind of next steps. And a lot of people started just saying, like, you should think about what you're doing. It's crazy, but you should probably try it. And I'm about to be totally alone on a crazy idea. How, how the heck do I move forward? And thankfully, my job gave me a few more in the summer months to kind of 
get my head on straight and figure out what I was going to do. And then September 1st, last paycheck, last day in a basement. Like I remember <laughs> like, oh shoot, like I, this is for real. This is, my, this is it. Um, I'm on my uh, own. Thanks for keeping that G rated. It is a family show. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. Okay. Yeah. So, oh shit. Yeah, and so j- the Rule 29 crew was like, yeah, come work here, Victor. It was my class on design, you know, and it, it was s- sitting in your office and working on my little leap year thing. Well, I um, came by and made fun of you occasionally. All the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and your team is the, they're the ones who helped me do the first video. Like the, the, you know, Brian and Wonderkind, they're the ones who follow me around the city. We cre- crafted the story. I totally forgot about they that. They did all that for free. <laughs> And, well, it's because you're so charming. I mean, it's your charm. They did it for yeah, free. Right? I mean, no, right? really, guys. Like, they spend <laughs> probably 40 hours on a video. You guys gave me office space. Like, looked over my web. I mean, everything. Never charged me a penny. Well, honestly, why do you think we did that? I don't know. I mean, really, I think I was persistent. I, you knew I wasn't going to, like, flake on you. Because I, 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 I had enough times where I could have just been one of those idea guys. And, and I had quit my job. I think I think you really saw that I was in, but I also think um, that you've just created a culture that has that kind of openness. Well, and yeah. and on, well, thank you for that. Um, and it's it's probably more the latter, but really, I just love like I was talking about earlier with you is I love the concept of possibilities, and I think one of the things that I really love and admire and pursue is that idea that could change everything. And maybe the only world you're changing is yours. That's still pretty amazing. There was two sides of it. One was I genuinely wanted to learn about this intersection of uh, kind of design, entrepreneurship, and impact work. Um, so how could I create like some sort of system for that so people could understand what I was doing? And one of my friends in the city, Seth Kravitz, um, a really well-known entrepreneur in the city, kind of one of the kind of the, the fathers of entrepreneurship or one of the kind of um, pillars of it, I think, as a person. He, he's like, look, you're going to come across as a hippie or a journeyman or some weird, <laughs> like, you got to put some sort of system through it. Like, you know, he talked about uh, kind of the Dirty Jobs guy, like, you know, talked about that show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love Mike, right? um, yeah. yeah. And um, he's like, can you just do like 12 projects in 12 months and make them really disparate, but find the thread in between all of them? And it was just one of those ideas. He just like said it in passing. I just kind of started running with that idea. It was 2012, 12 projects, 12 months. It's kind of 12 classes. It's a leap year. Yeah, it's a leap year. It's just all, I mean, you could probably, a smart group of people could have branded all of this, like, with, <laughs> but it just all fell into place, you know? It just it was really interesting. And sure enough, you know, I started talking to people about, hey, you know, what would you do if you had, you know, time and, um, and space to, to learn or grow or whatever. And the, and the conversations always started like, A, go to school. And I was like, okay, that's not an option. <laughs> B, you're crazy. C, okay, like really, I would probably want to work with people or I'd you know, travel to this place. And the conversations got more interesting. And then it would end with, man, I really wish I could do something like what you're doing. Like this is just super cool. So it went from you're ridiculous, um, just to go to school to I wish I could. And then that's when I was like, wait, this should be, this shouldn't just be Victor. This should, we could figure out how to include other people. And so I just started asking all the people I was interviewing, 
wait, would you do something next year? Like anything, just take some sort of leap, um, design some sort of project or figure out how you can make an impact or do something for yourself, like anything. And by the end, send me a story and I'll compile it into a book. And I was telling people I would do that. I've never written a book, but it would be my <laughs> dissertation. It would be my like final project, right? So I could, this was all, once again, kind of starting to come together. And, um, and that was in November, that, like the 12 projects, 12 months, right. invite the community. We had, Kelly had helped me launch that site. With, and, you know, obviously with a group of friends, the, the Wonderkind folks helped me make that video. That was a kind of a call to action. I was making three-minute videos for every famous person you can imagine. Personal I remember, videos. Didn't, I remember, didn't you send one like to Oprah? To and Oprah. I sent one to the president. I sent right. one. I, 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 I saw I, those. Like, you did in like a warehouse and you had yeah, like a suit exactly. right, we got to find. Do you have those I somewhere? do have those. All right, right we got to build one of those up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's ridiculous trying to get somebody with clout to take a leap. Um, and then we did this kind of like tweet fest in January and – some people tweeted back. Some people didn't. What I mean, no one really tweeted back. I like it was just it was just as organic and silly as you could imagine. And no, looking back on it, I don't know if that much has changed. I'm still doing a lot of the same. Yeah, I don't actually. I don't think it. I thought then as I do now. I thought it was brilliant in the sense that you don't know until you try. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I love about this whole concept, and especially you, is you don't know until you ask, right? I mean, that's part of the things. One of the parts we've grown Rule 29 is uh, the worst they can say is, no, I'm in the same position I was before. Yeah. But I loved, I remember seeing those, you'd, you're kind of ripping them out. And um, uh, I was like, wow, he's getting after it. And it, it did take off. But I, I believe that for sure someone would, would tweet back. I think actually if you did it again now, I think you'd have a different turnout. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll find out. I mean, this will be another leap year for me in a lot of ways, so. Awesome. We'll keep going. So, yeah. You know. So, yeah. So, beginning of uh, of 2012, I just needed someone to give me a shot. My first apprenticeship, or uh, kind of project. Uh, Phil Tadros from Dojo. Uh, Seth was f- friend. The guy who gave me the 12 months, 12, 12 projects idea. Said start with Phil. He's this kind of crazy serial entrepreneur. Has a design agency. He's kind of he'll, he'll understand what you're doing. Just email him. And and I had emailed several others, and people were either like total silence. I, I was, didn't know really where to start. Um, cause I was aiming for some ridiculous stuff. I like emailed Google and Apple. Yeah. So tell me Oprah. how you pitched it. Like what was your pitch? Uh, my pitch was like, you know, I told him like, I think MBA programs or master's programs in higher education is too expensive. I'm going to make up my own. Um, and then I also, I, you know, in those initial months I was kind of saying too much. I also told him about this whole, like, and I'm inviting this community and, I think the emails probably came across as like, this kid's, I'm getting sold something or <laughs> this kid's going to be like some sort of journalist in my space. Like, I, I don't think people understood. And I don't know if I understood what I was going to do. But Phil was like, just come to the office on January 6th. Like, it, that was his email. <laughs> like, that was it, to the whole thing. And I, and I showed up and he was like, uh, remind me what you're doing? I mean, and I I have like, three and a half weeks to actually figure out if this thing is going to fly right. in my head. And I was like, I, I'm just trying to figure out if I could do something for your business that's helpful and I could learn along the way. He's like, oh, cool. Yeah, that, by the way, that was a great pitch right there. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and he was like, uh, I guess I should show you around. <laughs> You're I'm in. serious. <laughs> You're in. And he like, Dojo is still kind of like, their space is still getting built and so forth and he's introducing me to random people. Guys, Aside from Rule 29, I had never stepped foot 
I don't think in a design agency. <laughs> like that's, that's crazy. Awesome. And I love he's it. like <laughs> I love that. I don't know the the structure of one. <laughs> know anything and um he's like uh can you sit up front and you know just just greet people when they come because no one knows who we are and we're just like building that and i was like sure yeah that's great and the guy who's sitting next to me up front was a project manager like kind of the studio manager as well so and but noah was his name's noah he was always leaving the front because he had to go meet with people right so i was like first day was answering calls and stuff like <laughs> not even kidding. And the space was in shambles, so I was fixing things. I was whatever. I was emptying trash cans. I, anything you can imagine. And I was and I, anyone who was asked like, "Who are you?" I'd I'd say like, "Hey, can I meet with you? I'm I'm actually here for this month long thing." And I'm like, cool, yeah. And I just would learn about how they got to dojo. What are they doing? What are they working on? What are their upcoming goals? And I did that with everybody's twenty person staff. I didn't like the first three days. Because, you know, designers, you know, they just love having little side conversations and then going back to work. And I was like, Phil, I think I have an idea of what I could work on. You're everyone here is interested in doing meaningful work and I hear like people have these passion projects or nonprofit projects like could we find a way to just vet them so you have a process you're getting asked all the time you're doing all this free work like we should just create a little more of a process for that um, and so we, we talked about the dojo foundation like and figuring out a, a, a system for saying yes or no like so a few check boxes and should it be a nonprofit and who works on it and all that and that was my first project and like <laughs> talked with his lawyer, figured out if it should be 501c3, created a simple checkbox system that the whole company knew about, knew when to say yes or no, and like a just a, a leaderboard of kind of what projects were kind of in the possibly in the hopper and you could vote on them and so on as a company. It was like Whoa. just super simple. I mean, but right. it was all I did 45 to 80 hours a week. And I, of course, other little things popped up here and there. And you can do that stuff in three and a half weeks if that's all you focus on. Absolutely. And, and I could get a lot of great exposure. And Phil loved it. Phil introduces me to Threadless, to Jake Nickel. I get to pitch Jake Nickel, and Jake's like, absolutely. You know, like, what's So is that, was that leap number two? It was actually leap number three. In between, I raised funding and went to Egypt and did a, a video project with one of my best friends on, um, I just wanted to find a good story in the middle of, kind of the, the things that Cairo was in the, like going through at the time because everything in the media was really awful. So I found an amazing nonprofit. They needed a marketing video to talk about the, what they were doing. I have a really great friend named Tyler Jackson who is crazy. He was engaged. His, his fiance was like, better bring him back safe. And we, we found some funding and we did it. We did a two-week trip to, to Cairo. That was my second, that was the second lead. And then, then Threadless and then on from there. Yeah. Did you ever know more than like the next month that what you were going to be doing um sometimes i knew like a couple people were like especially after dojo and the egypt trip and then threadless was kind of the the um it was a very well-known yeah it was a very well-known company people could could grasp like if threadless gets on board or you know if jake does it then well cool we we should probably this guy's not that crazy yeah exactly you know and i was blogging about it Mm -hmm. weekly so people knew that and um, I had gotten just one or two speaking gigs. So it, all that stuff was kind of coming together just a little bit. Um, so I knew like maybe a couple months out, like somebody would say, can you check back with me in like July or right. August? Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to, because I need to get all 12 in. One of the most genius parts of the whole Leap Year Project experiment is that he created a social movement and invited people to join in in whatever ways they wanted. Yeah, I mean, even my family and I 
you know, we did a leap. Uh, all six of us served our community in different ways. However, each person wanted to do it. It was awesome. And he created a means for people to, to share those stories, right? Yeah, yeah. So you could go online and share the story, you know, through the written word, images, or video. And then you could help others with ideas for leaps or inspire them, uh, you know, perhaps if the leap wasn't started yet or wasn't going as great as they wanted it to. There were people who were sending me stories and ideas. We tried to figure out a way to create a site where people could submit that stuff and um, submit their ideas to, to take leaps of their own. You know, it didn't ever become like some, you know, viral Good Morning America project. And, and I think in my wildest dreams, that's what I envisioned. But it became like, just like a couple circles outside of my circle. Because mm -hmm. I had a, gr a small group of people that were subscribed to my project, 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks, some paid more, some paid less, just to help me do my thing and mm -hmm. then share kind of the behind the scenes stories. Um, and so that they were all sending in stuff and then a couple circles out of that. And so it ended up being like, 500 people and about of those 500 like 250 really came through with like a really wonderful stories mm -hmm. uh, and and were it was really delightful and by the end you know we had we, there was just so much um surprise like i think everyone was surprised like we shit like victor had, victor actually made it to the end like, and i <laughs> you know he's really gonna do the book project it yeah. was like, holy shit, Victor! <laughs> and so the, the Kickstarter gets funded. Someone lets me speak on a, on a stage at TED, and all of a sudden, it's not like people are trying to figure out, well, what's what do we do now? So you're, uh, you're probably wondering, am I graduating, or am I just the kind of guy that likes to wear gowns? <laughs> Might be both, actually. <laughs> Actually, today I am graduating uh, from a self-made master's, something I called the Leap Year Project, based on a simple idea that I could be a student again, just by taking a few risks. Uh, July and August, I was really tired, and, um, and I had a really great kind of lineup for the, to end the year or so, I thought. So August was hard. Because so let's just talk about the reason you were tiring, tired is because you're traveling every month to a every different, month, different place. Every month, sleeping on couches, yeah. like getting to know a new team, trying to prove myself, blogging, trying to build that like the story piece of it. Were you ever tempted to quit? Yeah, so July, was I was going to quit. Um, I spent July um, with my mentor in, in Racine, Ian, Ian Boyd, uh, an incredible human. And yeah, so I was going to quit in July. Really, that was, that was a real real tough month I had a really really little money wanted to figure out you know the project like I said didn't hit Good Morning America or anything and was curious also curious about the school like I was starting to write out plans for um, people had been telling me like higher education is ripe for disruption which that wasn't as cliche of a term as it is or a phrase as it is now the word disruption I think is like ugh. people were very interested in this idea of a experiential learning and b designing seasons of learning and growth through, like by giving like students the, the tools and the spaces to do so without massive debt. So I really wanted to quit then. And then, yeah, October, I was at this awesome company in Orange County uh, called Project 7. Things were going pretty well. Um, he, he offered to let me stay longer. And I was like, no, I'm going to go back to Chicago and work with a Bears player. 
and I had organized a really awesome opportunity to help the Chicago Bears tight end, I don't want to say his name right now, but um, who was kind of transitioning away from athletics, from mm. pro, professional athletics, and needed to kind of merge back into society. And, like, how does he spend his money? He was thinking about starting a foundation. Like, how, he needed a job shadow a little bit to see where he really fit in the world. And I was thinking, man, like, not my story could help him. And his agent was like, yeah, you could live with live with him. And we document it. It could be, you know, we're talking maybe ESPN 3030. Like, it was this awesome opportunity. I had to keep it all quiet. And then last minute, like, the last week of October, or the second to last week of October, Everything falls through. He decides he wants to stay in the league for another year, maybe two, gets oh, man. transitioned up to Green Bay, and it's out. Uh, <laughs> it's done. Uh, that had to just be it so And deflating. it would have been like just this really cool, you know. Yeah. Thing. So what I did was I, the guy at Project 7, Tyler Merrick, um, says, hey, why don't you just stay here? Um, all, everything is kind of established for you, and let's find a theme for the month where you can pursue something and you have, you just know that you have your projects here you can work on, but then you can theme the month with something else, which is great. And he connected me to the, um, the head of union rescue mission in downtown LA and skid row. And I worked with him on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner and, uh, organizing this like massive, uh, effort to serve Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and Tyler gave me time to help organize that. And I used the Thanksgiving week to be there and, yeah, that ended up being my my eleventh leap, which is such contrast, right? Like this really media, potentially like cool, flashy media project um, with you know an NFL football player to serving Thanksgiving dinner and helping to organize that. I just you know that's uh, great, really yeah. uh, really centering. I think hmm. just to be quick to circle back, wasn't there wasn't there a time where you got somewhere and you didn't have an internship though and a place to stay? I stayed in a garage, so you're, so I didn't have an intern, Alex Bogusky actually Oh, in Denver, on, that's right, that that's right. Alex Bogusky right. flopped on okay. me, so that was one call. And then sleeping in a garage was Orange County. Okay, okay. Which got, which was fine in October, got chilly in November. Yeah. And they let me still move Well, inside. one of the things that, that <laughs> I really appreciated. The ant problem though, I tell you. Yeah. Anyway. Because you, <laughs> you had insects everywhere, right? Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of what you don't hear here is there are many times that uh, myself and others who were supporting Victor got texts or calls about moments where he didn't have a place to sleep or he was sleeping on an ant-infested you know, couch or the internship wasn't going the way he had hoped. Right, and he was certainly discouraged when he encountered situations that um, money wasn't coming in or internships weren't turning out the way he wanted them to and things like that. And eventually it just took a toll at certain points throughout the year. Yeah, and part of that is I'm somebody who wears my emotions on my sleeve. I think there are those people who, you know, they're just very bullish, very like for you know uh, strong-willed. Get you know, get out of my way if you're you know either join me or get out of my way, right. and you know don't and are just rocks and like that. And I'm I'm probably more of a sentimental person. I I, I read about Howard Schultz once, and I and he talks about how like. Um, he takes like some of the criticisms about Starbucks personally for and did for a long time. And I think he's still a, a strong leader, but um, talked about like head and hands over some pretty small things. And it, I remember reading that and thinking like, oh gosh, I'm not I'm not crazy um, being somebody who has grand vision, but also feels the small things. And so yeah, that's me. Mm. 
So here we are. So leap year wrapped up. Wraps in up. 2012 or you know 2013 did the TED talk, and that was this my first time on a like quote unquote kind of big stage. Yeah, it was a great, and, it was a great talk by the way. <laughs> thanks. It was super young. It's really fun watching it now because I was just really young and really nervous. I you know the talks I give now I'm just yeah very different. And like I said, there was just a, a lot of questions around whether or not there was a space in higher education to take this idea and replicate it, share it, create a space for people who were maybe in, in similar positions I was in and didn't want to go the traditional route. You know, Experience Institute was this kind of uh, evolution of Leap Year Project. It was something that would have a little more structure tied to some curricular thought and design, but without forfeiting entirely the design element and the grit and the um, the gumption that it takes to, to really take learning in your own hands. So that we, we wanted to see if we could kind of create a program, a school of sorts, where people could design their next step. So at the TED Talk, um, something that no one knows, there was an investor who told me in December, because um, I had several job offers, and there was an investor who said, look, if you decide to turn the job offers down, I'll, I'll cover you for your first six months. I was like, well, you know, as you try to start EI. And so January comes, I turn on the job offers, work, you know, work on the book project, we just got it funded, and prep to launch EI. And uh, end, end of February, TED Talk comes up, I'm supposed to go give this talk and announce EI, and he still hadn't given me the money. No, no, not I didn't a dollar. Wow. No dollar had come in the door. Um, and so I you're, was just, you're, I was you're going freaking off of out. fumes, you know, yeah. going off fumes. Some of the leap year, leap year supporters were still super gracious and continuing their support and so on. That was ending in March. And, uh, and I had to decide if I was going to that night, what I should do. Uh, I was really spent. I had written, you know, working on the book project, working on this Ted talk, launching the school website, branding, everything you can imagine all at once. I was sleeping in the office, like silly. Um, and, and I, you know, obviously announced it. And it was all, you know, was, let's go, let's give it a shot. I'm announcing that we're gonna start something pretty incredible, a school called Experience Institute. It builds on the idea that we can create a credible, valuable education through experiences. That someone can piece together apprenticeships, conferences, workshops, and volunteer experiences to create an education that will give them the tools they need to transform this world with an inventive spirit. Um, same thing, publishing it in the book, and he never came through. He oh no, totally I didn't know me. that. Yeah, I went totally silent on me. And uh, have you heard from him since? No. Wow. I every once in a while, I I catch him online. Like I can see who opens my emails or who likes photos and stuff. And I I, I just I wonder what it's going through his head a little bit. Yeah. But it's okay. Things happen. I, who knows? Maybe something happened with his family or whatever. I um. So, yeah, so five students crazily joined the program. We had like 30 applicants. Yeah, so give give the kind of brief like how does how does how does EI work? So So it's still a 12-month program like leap year, but instead it's three windows of time. So fall, spring, summer instead of that you can do three-month projects. One month was a little fast, obviously. Um, so three-month projects with meetups kind of every quarter where you do classes on on core competencies, things that are not based on discipline like business or medicine or law, but are on competencies like self-awareness, uh, storytelling, uh, human-centered design, operations, and then 
uh, community building. They meet in Chicago, then they travel, they meet in Chicago, then they travel, meet in Chicago, and then we do an expo where they share the stories of what they've done. Um, and so it's kind of a mix between Harvard and the Amazing Race. Wow. The cost is 12, 12 grand. Um, it's about 1000 a month. So, and we try to do it monthly so that it's part of their apprenticeship stipend. And what we try to do is make sure that every student, as they, get, as they land into a place, EI is building a brand, hopefully, where people know that the kind of person who's going to work with you, learn with you, is also the kind of person who's going to contribute to your work. Whether it's client work or internal projects, there will be a return on it. They're not just uh, asking kind of where the bathroom is and hoping that, to check a box for their school. This is their class, and this is their portfolio. This is their work. And students come in from all kinds of backgrounds, from biomimicry to writing. I think the idea of apprenticeships and kind of learning and working at the same time is really helpful for the cost piece. I don't think it, I think pra pragmatism has its limits, but in points of transition in life where there are very few credible things to do, the idea of just the only credible option being a very expensive degree is kind of ludicrous. There needed to be something else. So creating a, a, a very caught, like affordable, but still robust and reputable program had to come to life. And that's what, what the, I think the space that EI is filling. And there was a lot of, there are a lot of boot camps that are coming up. They're like anywhere from six to 15 K they're calling them just in time education where you step in two to three months and you learn how to code or learn how to do front end web development or learn how to do business development. And those are great, but they still lack a little bit of this kind of transformational process that comes with and just being a better human by spending a, you know, a large chunk of time, which is more costly but I, I think also sometimes more necessary. Yeah, but some of the students, and correct me if I'm wrong, don't they also potentially get paid for their work? And, yeah. And so that it all kind of works to lower the, the, the cost, cost of yeah. the experience. So, yeah, I mean, if you think about the cost of, uh, you know, whatever, uh, some, some mix between an intern to a grad student, you know, working in your space, it's less than a full-time employee. But for the student, that's awesome because they're getting paid for their work and able to still be in this kind of um, educational posture, this learner posture. Um, they get to work with you, get paid, build their portfolio, and stay a student. Yeah, I was one of those people when we first talked about that I hope got to the end solution quicker. In fact, I was talking to Wills about this the other day when we were prepping for uh, this, this interview, is I would still love to do this. Mm. Because I think the time right when you graduate college to go out and spend a year to really explore and discover maybe how you're wired, what actually interests you and kind of take away some of the stress of the fact that I have to start paying back my school loans or, you know, kind of quote unquote, get on with my life, I think is really the magic behind mm. EI. And I think there's no better classroom than life. I mean, for us, as you know, we have a very well-designed internship program. And that's because for me, I didn't know what I was going to do when I was in college. I didn't really understand what design was until I had an internship. I thought I was going to be an art teacher, which is a great profession, by the way. Um, but when I walked into the studio for the first time and saw people be, being able to take how they saw the world and make amazing things out of it, I just was hooked. Mm -hmm. And so for you to give students an opportunity to really explore those curiosities, or the possibilities that they have, I think is beautiful. And I think is the exact disruption, to use that overused term, that academia needs. 
So I, I don't know if this will be like a, a freestanding thing. I actually think it'll change how we do college. I think leap year, these kind of EI semesters actually would be really fascinating to see what a college does. If they give students like 30 students, you 30 are going to be the leapers this, this year or this semester. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, and you get to leave campus. Your campus is your hub. And, you know, there's this on-ramp to that thing and then an off-ramp and then they give their talks and... What does that What does that do for your like somewhere between freshman sophomore year, or what does that do uh, you know in your senior year? I think that's really. How, interesting. Or how What does that do when you turn forty five and want to have that experience? Yeah, it's another possibility. Yeah, yeah. So, what has it been like for you to go from essentially being responsible for only yourself and figuring this thing out on your own to yeah. now leading this group of six to twelve students, um, and kind of how your role has changed throughout the process. So a couple things. One, there's now a team around me, and, and there's really only one full-time person, and then there's a team of coaches mm-hmm. and instructors who have right. stepped in to help kind of lead classes, and the coaches do weekly calls with the students wherever they are, which has been really, really great for that touch, ongoing touch mm-hmm. point. You know, I think generally speaking, there's this sense of my, my role now is to be a, a kind of connector to companies, organizations, educational institutions right and and to give our students a place where they can be designers of their learning Mm -hmm. um so i want i just want to create a palette and then give them a canvas and and that's what i'm that's my role now you know i I can't i'm not going to dictate what they learn or what they do i just try to give them as many great tools to then go and design um and, and that's hopefully a way to spread the idea too, is to figure out how, what what are those tools? How do you? What's the vernacular for that? What's the? What are some helpful steps when you're thinking about that? Um, so yeah, that's kind of how the role shifted. Um, it's hard because I want to be involved in every person's journey. I, right. I just I love and I I get to see it sometimes from a distance, sometimes up close. But yeah. So now um, you've you've had some pretty amazing connections. I know you know there's. Uh, the D school from Stanford has been a part of the DNA of EI, and uh, you have some exciting new stuff coming up. Can let's let's talk about that. Yeah. So the students and I, um, the students staff and I, have been trying to think about what are the ways to give this idea and these tools to people no matter where they are. Like if you can't come to Chicago, or if you can't take the full year, mm-hmm. if you're at a point of transition after high school, after college, in between jobs, no matter how old you are. How would you design your own leap of sorts? So we next year's a leap year. Uh, we've packaged, we're packaging, working on packaging all of the tools into a really delightful, lovely little kit of parts that you can put together that has a field guide and a map and um, coaching cards and it's kind of all housed in a really beautiful little folio. And the hope is that no matter whether or not you buy a leap kit, but that this idea starts spreading and that people start seeing points of transition not just as like I need to go get another job right away or I need to do um, some sort of very expensive degree but I should be really thoughtful about my next step and to really think about what things inspire me uh, what am I paying a lot of attention to and what do I really hope to become after this next step Um, and what am I good at already what am I bringing to the table and let those kind of initial three questions maybe and, and a few other things kind of begin to help nudge you forward towards things that are going to be uh, both inspiring and meaningful, 
but also kind of valuable to your career and to your kind of future. Right. And it's the kind of thing that a team might use at a company, it's the kind of thing that a class might use in high school or college, um, and it gives, like I said, us the chance to, to share the it's idea. It's a great gift for anybody in <laughs> <laughs> We've been playing around a lot with uh, the tagline, um, everyone is on the brink of something great. Cool. And, Ooh, I love that. We like it. We're going to tweet and take credit for that one too. Yep, yep. <laughs> As we kind of bring this show to a close, I wanted you to, Victor, if you would talk about um, really quickly um, one of our sponsors for our show, <laughs> which is the Experience Institute. We're so excited that you're supporting the show. Thank and you so the, much. And the, and the Leap Kit. So, uh, you know, go ahead and give a little commercial for EI. This show has been brought to you by Experience Institute, a new form of higher education based in Chicago, Illinois, where students design their education based on their field of study by diving into real-world projects and apprenticeships. Join us today by going to expinstitute.com or by purchasing LeapKit at leapkit.expinstitute.com. <laughs> wow. First of all, so far, that was the best well, was sponsor the best ad ever. ever. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, thank in the room right now is Kevin Von Quaylen and Melanie Kale, two EI friends, Melanie a fellow and Kevin an instructor and coach and photographer. So thanks for, to those two for being not only part of the program, but uh, crazy enough to continue on and helping us take leaps. But we we'll also wanted to talk about um, and say thanks to our other sponsor. Our other sponsor is Emphasis. Um, and Emphasis is a really interesting web platform where you're able to create custom merchandise using the lyrics of your favorite artists and musicians. And you can visit that site at emphasis.is. So again, if you love lyrics, love t-shirts and design, make your own t-shirt and give it as a gift or wear it proudly. So Victor, thank you again for your time. And uh, this is Design Of. I'm Wills Francis. I'm Justin Ahrens. We want to say thank you to our main man, Steve Wick, who is like a cold beer on a warm day. And we'd also like to thank the team at Rule 29 for allowing us the space and time and resources to make this podcast. And please join us for our next episode. So don't forget to follow us at designofpodcast.com and also find us on Twitter at designofpodcast. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye.